Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. I am Steve Johnson. It is good to be with you again tonight or whenever you might be listening to this. Um, a few of you that I sent this to were pretty excited about it. It seemed like uh, got a couple of likes, uh, so I appreciate that. I hope a lot more of you are going to be doing that as we go forward. Um, but I'm, I'm ready to move on now. Uh, this evening we're going to be discussing Deuteronomy chapter 24 through 27. And just like yesterday, uh, this time I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. Um, it's one of my favorites. I don't know if I would call it my favorite, but I really like it because of how it reads. Um, and it's easy to understand, grasp, or when you're just reading. Now, if you're doing more in-depth study, I would recommend a more word-for-word translations like the New King James, the Modern English Version, the New American Standard. Um, some people like the English Standard Version, the ESV, but those first three, the MEV, the NKJV, and the NASB, are three of my favorites. I also tend to like the Amplified Bible, although some people don't because they think it adds to the Word of God and others think it's just some of the natural flow of the reading, like it's hard to keep up with it because there's so much in the text as far as trying to bring out the full meaning of words. I personally like that, but I know if I were to do that here, uh, just like when I'm hearing somebody quote it, during a sermon, sometimes it's like, whoa, whoa, slow down. What'd you say? And you got to back up and uh, do that again. I've heard some uh, guys, and this is just a joke, so nobody get all offended. But I've heard some guys say that the Amplified Bible is the quintessential woman's Bible because it keeps talking and talking and talking. But, you know, I didn't say that. I just passed it along. It's just a little funny thing. So, ha, ha. grow your sense of humor if you don't have one. And if you do, then... Welcome to my podcast. So, um, anyway, we're going to move on now. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 24. And speaking of women, uh, they're mentioned pretty quick here right off the bat. So, it says here, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Well, that wouldn't be good. If you want to <clears throat> marry somebody, it's probably a good idea. To, well, anyway. <coughs> Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. That sounds very open-ended, doesn't it? doesn't sound like there's a lot of um, guidelines as far as what would be considered as having something wrong with her. Um, but anyway, uh, when she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. Um, so, before we move on in that, I want to see if I can find something real quick about how open-ended that really is. Because when you read that about how she doesn't please him and he finds something wrong with her, he can just send her a, a certificate of divorce. That's pretty open-ended as far as uh, 
what all that could possibly mean. Um, let's see if I can find out something about that. Um, according to this, uh, the passage does not command, commend, condone, or even suggest divorce. Rather, it recognizes that divorce occurs and permits it only on restricted grounds. Grounds. The case presented here is designed to convey the fact that divorcing produced defilement. Notice the following sequence. A man finds an uncleanness, some impurity or something vile in his wife, other than adultery, which was punishable by execution. So we know, again, this. there's one key thing, um, that this isn't talking about adultery, because adultery had the death penalty attached to it. Um, if he legally divorces her, although God hates divorce, as Malachi 2.16 says, he has designed marriage for life, as Genesis 2.24 declares, and he allowed divorce because of hard hearts, as Matthew 19.8 reveals. If she then marries another man, the new husband then dies or divorces her, then that woman would not return to her first husband. This is so because she was defiled with such a defilement that it is an abomination to the Lord. What constitutes that defilement? Only one thing is possible. She was defiled in the remarriage because there was no ground for the divorce. So, if there was no ground for the divorce, that, that's why it sounds so open-ended, because there was no grounds for the divorce. <coughs> so, she was defiled in the remarriage because there was no ground for the divorce. So, after, so when she was remarried, she became an adulteress. This would also go with what Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 says. Um, and is thus defiled so that her former husband can't take her back. Illegitimate divorce proliferates adultery. So that's why that seems so open-ended, because we got a guy divorcing a woman just because he wants to, and she's been defiled because divorce was only permitted under certain circumstances. And that's repeated again in the New Testament. I won't get into that too much now, into the real deep details of it except to kind of give an overview of what I know about it um, divorce and remarriage is only permissible if you've been cheated on if or um, well obviously if the marriage ends due to one spouse dying that's not really divorce but that's another means of a marriage ending by which you can remarry is if your spouse dies and the third is if you're, um, uh, first of all, I want to preface this by saying that in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17, um, might be 6, 14 through 18, but I know it starts with 6, 14. Uh, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked or unequally matched with an unbeliever. And that includes in the marriage relationship. So if you're a believer, you have no business marrying somebody who doesn't believe in Christ or doesn't follow him. That is a command in the New Testament. However, if you disobeyed that command, <laughs> um, in the, or whatever, or let's say you um, and, and you went ahead and got married, and now you uh, have repented and you want to faithfully serve the Lord, and your unbelieving spouse doesn't want to put up with that. Or let's say that when you got married, you were both unbelievers, but then one of you became a Christian, 
um, and the unbelieving spouse no longer wants to put up with you, first of all, you're not supposed to seek a divorce in those circumstances. You can't just say, well, I'm a believer and I want to follow Jesus now, and so I'm going to divorce you. No, that's not how this works. Um, you're a believer and you want to follow Jesus now. Great. Good for you. You can follow one of the ways you can follow Jesus is by serving him in front of your unbelieving spouse so that maybe you can bring salvation to your whole family, including your children. All this is covered in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in great detail. Um, if you are if you were both unbelievers and then after you get married, one of you becomes a, a follower of Christ, and the unbelieving spouse does not want to stay with you. They are free to leave, and 1 Corinthians 7 suggests that you don't try to stop them. Um, in that case, then, you are no longer bound to that marriage, the passage says in 1 Corinthians 7, which carries with it the idea of being able to remarry. Obviously, then, in that case, you would want to marry a believer the next time around, so that you don't make the same mistake twice. That's, uh, I just turned my do not disturb on so we don't get a bunch of noises. Let's see here. Um, I'll clear out all those notifications because that's not really necessary for the moment. I can read those when I get done. So, again, you can read all those uh, provisions for divorce and remarriage in detail in uh, Matthew uh, 5, 31, uh, 32, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe, uh, I want to say there's something else there that I'm missing right now off the top of my head, and I'm no longer reading the note that I pulled up from the MacArthur Study Bible. So I can't really um, give you anything on that. Hi, Galaxy. I got a cute little kitty down here looking at me all cute, wanting me to give her attention. Hi, Galaxy. I'm going to, uh, we're already at the 10 minute mark here, and I want to try to get this done within an hour because they have a one hour, they have a one hour limit on uh, segments. Uh, my last podcast went into one hour and 17 minutes, so we're going to try to keep this to an hour. We will see what happens. It should be fun. Going on now, starting at verse 5 in Deuteronomy 24. A newly married man must not be drafted into the army or be given any other official responsibilities. That would be something cool to reinstitute into our culture. <laughs> he must be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he has married. That would be really awesome if we had that as a national policy. Um... Of course, then I, um, I go, okay, well, going on to verse six, I don't want to, I started to say something else, but I'm not sure it's 100% true, and I don't want to, um, <laughs> Galaxy's so cute, doesn't it? I don't want to say something incorrect, because I haven't actually read that lately, so I want to make sure, what I was going to say, I want to make sure I don't say it wrong. Um, anyway, um. It is wrong to take a set of millstones or even just the upper millstone as security for a loan, for the owner uses it to make a living. 
If anyone kidnaps a fellow Israelite and treats him as a slave or sells him, the kidnapper must die. So there's another instance for the death penalty. We just talked about adultery being one. Um, yesterday we talked about how if a child, uh, if, if a, I'm guessing it was a child above the age of accountability, which was the age of uh, beginning at the 13th birthday forward, if uh, you, uh, you know, the time of your bar, mit bar mitzvah or whatever, that's when you transition from childhood to adulthood. They didn't have an extended adolescence or anything like our society teaches. But um, you know, we had a death penalty thing for uh, being especially egregious and uh, just a really, you know, bringing dishonor to your parents. And also, we have one here, and then there was the adultery thing we just talked about. Um, and now there's the one for uh, kidnapping. And then you treat the one you kidnapped as a slave or sell him, the kidnapper must die. And this way you will purge the evil from among you. Like I said, God doesn't mess around. Uh, <laughs> I said that yesterday, I think. Verse 8. All, in all cases involving serious skin diseases. Serious skin diseases. Traditionally, the rendered it's the the word is leprosy. The Hebrew word used here can describe various skin diseases, but it's usually translated as leprosy, or what today is known as Hansen's disease, I believe. Um, in all cases involving serious skin diseases, be careful to follow the instructions of the Levitical priests. Obey all the commands I have given them. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam as you were coming out of Egypt. If you lend anything to your neighbor, do not enter his house to pick up the item. He is giving as security. You must wait outside while he goes in and brings it out to you. If your neighbor is poor and gives you his cloak as security for a loan... Do not keep the cloak overnight. Return the cloak to its owner by sunset so he can stay warm throughout the night and bless you. And the Lord your God will count you as righteous. Again, this is some pretty practical advice that might not be bad to implement. Now, obviously, you know, this could apply to things other than or just more specifically talked about here. But I think it's something that we could really benefit from to really take these principles into account. Never take advantage of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. Don't take advantage of them just because they're poor or destitute. You must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you and it would be counted against you as sin. We in our society tend to have paychecks. Uh, some people get their checks monthly. Some people get them uh, every other week. Some people get paid by the week. Uh, some have other arrangements. Uh, some have you know annual salaries, um, and they you know they get there's all kinds of payment arrangements. In this day here, from what they were saying, you you get paid each day for the work that you do. That would be an interesting system to have set up. Um, Regardless of whether we, again, we're not under the law of Moses, so do we have to keep this commandment to the letter that says, um, oh, sorry, I just covered up my phone with my keyboard. 
And Galaxy just jumped in my lap, so now I'm kind of going all uh, wacky here. But um, now the phone is sliding around on the couch. Come on. Get with it. Get with the program here. I'm talking to a phone like it's going to answer me. Uh, Google Assistant might answer me, but uh, I don't think we're going to. I don't think the phone's going to talk to me. If it does, I need medication. <laughs> but anyway, um, what was I saying? I was going on about something, the blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. Um, we're not under the law of Moses. So do we have to pay people who work for us at the end of each day? I wouldn't be such a stickler on the that particular law, but if you want to go by the principle, it's that when somebody is expecting to be paid and you've agreed upon a certain time frame, don't withhold the pay from them. That's an unrighteous thing to do. I can get that principle from this, and I think it's an applicable one to our life today. Um, now going on to verse 16 in Deuteronomy 24. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. Seems pretty straightforward. Not much uh, needing to be said with that. Verse 17, true justice must be given to foreigners living among you and to orphans, and you must never accept a widow's garment as security for her debt. Always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God has redeemed you from your slavery. That is why I have given you this command. So, everybody deserves equal justice under the law. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. When you beat the olives from your olive trees, your God will bless you. Uh, don't go over the, the bows twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. That's why I'm giving you this command. So be generous, especially to those who are widows, who don't have parents, or parents aren't providing for them, and be, uh, or aren't able to provide for them, and be kind to foreigners. Uh, it's just, a, a, an, again, a pretty straightforward thing. Be compassionate, be giving, be generous, especially to those who are less fortunate. Chapter 25. We're making pretty good time now. Suppose two people take a dispute to court, and the judge and the judges declare that one is right and the other is wrong. I would hope so. That's kind of what judges are supposed to do, make rulings like that. Anyway, verse 2. If the person in the wrong is sentenced to be flogged, the judge must command him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of lashes appropriate to the crime. But never give more than 40 lashes. More than 40 lashes would publicly humiliate your neighbor. Not to mention, it's going to hurt really bad. It might cause some serious injury. Now, 
they didn't put that in there. I did. <laughs> but, you know, and that brings up an interesting thing. Today, if somebody commits an egregious crime, we lock them away from their family and society for a long time. And some people would look at a law like this and say, gosh, that's pretty harsh. And that's pretty, this, uh, that's, that's pretty, um, it's kind of overdoing it, don't you think? Well, some could say that it's actually more compassionate to take these uh, lashings and get it over with. If you're going to be flogged, you take the flogging, you take whatever the appropriate punishment is for the crime. It doesn't lay out specific flogging um, things for certain crimes here in this passage. But would that be more compassionate? To have a system where we flog people for crimes, serious crimes, or is the way we do it fair? Will we lock somebody away from their family and those that they love, keep them from providing for their families, which puts a greater burden on society? Or do you do the more immediate and painful punishment? As a means of a deterrent. What do you think? Something to think about. Should we alter our laws to be more in line with this or not? Verse 4, Deuteronomy 25. You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Again, this goes back to taking care of your animals. No animals are not equal to people. We are not to be animal rights fanatics that think that animals are made in God's image or have the same rights that people do. But they do have the right in God's eyes to be treated with respect with kindness more more than anything else treat them with kindness and provide for their needs don't don't take that away from them if two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family instead her husband's brother should marry her and have intercourse with her to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law you better hope that you like your your brother's wife because you never know you might have to marry her one day. That's what I take from that. You know, if you look at her and go, oh my gosh, no, no, somebody turned the lights off. Mm, well, you, you better be praying for your brother's uh, health there. That's kind of mean, isn't it? Well, not really because I don't have anyone specific in mind. So if you think I'm talking about you, I'm not. Um, talking about that other person that none of us know. But anyway, um, <laughs> let's go on from there. And if you have anybody else in mind that that might apply to, I wouldn't tag them in this and say, hey, this was about you. That's very mean. Don't do that. Um, anyway, verse 6. The first son she bears to him will be considered the son of the dead brother. Well, that's pretty cool. So... Legally, even though biologically, this first son would be the son of the new husband or the brother of the deceased husband. He would be considered legally the husband of the, or the husband. Ooh. He would be considered legally the son of the husband that had previously died. 
um, so that his name will not be forgotten in Israel. That's a very interesting concept. Uh, but if the man refuses to bury his brother's widow, she must go to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, My husband's brother refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law by marrying me. The elders of the town will then summon him, summon him and talk with him. If he still refuses and says, I don't want to marry her, the widow must walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. Then she must declare, this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide his brother with children. Ever afterward in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal was pulled off. This is... Uh, this particular section is Deuteronomy chapter 25, and I just messed up my little chapter things here, so that's just going to be wonderful. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses uh, 7 through 10. So let me look at that real quick and see what I can get from this because I think there might be something here for understanding I uh, understand even in today's society that spitting in somebody's face isn't really uh, a polite thing to do and it will usually get your butt kicked <laughs> if because that's considered a grave insult to uh To spit in somebody's face, but I'm curious as to what it is about the sandal here that um, that would make that such an egregious thing. Let me. Uh, I'm gonna pause this for a minute and look this up because I don't want to just have a bunch of silent air time, uh, silent time here where things are you know, just listening to me hum along and, and mumble to myself. So I'll be right back in a moment. So I got a pretty interesting uh, thing here from an unexpected place. I went to this uh, Messianic Jewish uh, thing here called the Messianic Revolution. And... Um, they were discussing this passage that we just read here, and he and he says here I'm gonna I'm gonna read this and again this is gonna like I said yesterday this is going to use some anatomically correct language that if you have some little ears or if yours are especially sensitive or you're like a prude or whatever you might just this is a this is a prude warning but it's also a warning for uh you know if you've got little ones and you haven't had the talk with them yet or whatever and they're not familiar with such things or you just don't want them to hear it you uh, might want to skip forward or put some earphones in or pause this until later but um so, fair warning, there you go. Now I'm going to go ahead and read this. This was, again, on the passage that we just read about being unsandaled. This uh, commentary says, Before I unpack all of this, there's something important I need to remind you about sexuality in ancient cultures. In ancient cultures, sexuality was not viewed as obscene, dirty, or taboo. And we know that's a, kind of a problem here. Um, 
people, oh, well, you shouldn't talk about that in church. Well, I'm sorry, but church is where you go to hear truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is the very definition of love and of truth. If you're not going to hear the truth at church, where else are you going to hear it? If you're not going to hear the truth from the scriptures, from God's word, from those who teach the Bible, where else are you going to hear it? Oh, well, we don't talk about that in church. Well, I guarantee you, if you're not talking about it in church, you're talking about it somewhere. And if your kids aren't hearing about it in church or they're not hearing about it at home, they're hearing about it somewhere. They're reading about it somewhere. They're watching it somewhere, especially with the Internet these days. They're getting it somewhere. So you better teach them something. Now, with that in mind, again, if you, I'm going to go ahead and read that again. In ancient cultures, sexuality was not considered viewed, or viewed as obscene, dirty, or taboo. Very different from uh, today, and especially in the church. Maybe not so much. Maybe we need a little bit more uh, reservation in the lost world because we're a pretty sexually permissive culture and we put up a, a lot of stuff but it's just the opposite in the church it seems like a lot of times in the church we've gone to the opposite extreme because the world is so extreme in what it will allow uh, and what it will permit it's so permissive and to just absolutely horrible sinfulness um we tend to go the other direction, like, oh, well, let's shield and bubbleize ourselves from this, especially our kids. That's not what they did. It was considered as much as a normal part of life as breathing and eating. And, of course, the Torah established uh, certain laws governing sexual behavior, such as forbidding homosexuality, uh, forbidden incest, and forbid adultery. But the ancient Hebrews were not prudish about it like that word I just used. And here's another of the things we've got to, got to come to terms with. Scripture is filled with a ton of sexual illustrations and metaphors. They're all over the place in Scripture. These sexual word pictures were considered a very effective way to communicate certain things in a very easy to understand manner. So here's the thing. This whole pulling the sandal off the foot and spitting ritual is actually a sexual word picture being presented to us. A lot of these things are actually buried by prudish Bible translators to the point where they're so hidden we can't see any of this when we read our English Bibles. In a Hebrew marriage, the man is believed to be putting on his wife as if she is a treasured treasured article of clothing of his. The wife becomes a covering for him, just as the husband also is a covering for her. That's why in scripture we'll sometimes see the wife of a husband being referred to as a garment. This is not meant to be demeaning in any way. It was a beautiful word picture expressing the intimate one flesh nature existing between a man and his wife. The sandals story involving the brother marrying, his, marrying the widow represents a similar type of imagery. So here's the deal, and this is the part where, again, if, you got, if, if you're a prude or you're just really sensitive and don't want to talk about these things or hear about them, 
Or if you've got kids nearby, this is the time you really want to shoo them off. Um, not sandal them off, but shoo them off or, or whatever. Or put some earphones in or something. The sandal similar... Uh, here we go. The sandal... Sandal. That's all, folks. Let's try this one more time. The sandal symbolizes the woman's vagina. And the man's foot represents his penis. I have to say, after reading this, I don't think I will ever look at a sandal or my foot the same way again. Let me read this again. The sandal symbolizes the woman's vagina and the man's foot represents his penis. According to the laws of Lever Leverite marriage, the man is supposed to put on the woman's reproductive organ, but he won't. Thus, do, during this ritual, the woman publicly removes the sandal from the man's foot. Next, when she spits in his face, the spit represents the man's wasted semen because he will not impregnate her. According to some of the writings of the ancient sages, the Hebrew sages, the widow actually spit in front of the brother onto the ground right next to his bare foot. Apparently, this was to reenact what Onan did when t with Tamar when he pulled out his organ before climaxing with her during sex. You can read about that in the book of Genesis. To conclude, the final insult lev leveled at the now, I can imagine, quite humiliated brother is that he would forever be known as the unsandaled one because he refused to give the widow a male child. So there we go. That's that. <laughs> Enjoy uh, chewing on that one. And again, I don't think I'll look at my sandals or my foot the same way again. <laughs> but I'm glad I took the time to look that up. Because that's not something that you can just pick up by reading this. You really have to to look into what you're you're studying here sometimes and I didn't I didn't prepare notes ahead of time because there's there's a reason for that I mean you notice just how when I'm talking here I I tend to go off on tangents right well if I prepared notes ahead of time this would turn into like a five-hour podcast every day because I would want to be looking at every single verse and looking up all the things I could study about it and by the time I got done with it we wouldn't get through half a dozen verses before an hour had passed. So I'm trying to to keep this somewhat succinct. And just when I come to something that isn't self-explanatory or something I don't understand or something that I feel like needs to be delved into a little more, I'll look into something and study it like I just did. Otherwise, we're just going to continue reading for now. That being said, if you have any questions about anything we go over, um, I would be happy, or comments, questions, anything, please comment or whatever. Just uh, find some way. You can message me on Facebook or Twitter. You can comment, uh, whatever. Just let me know something so that we can, uh, so that we can clear up the understanding. Verse 11 of Deuteronomy 25. If two Israelite men get into a fight and a wife of one and the wife of one tries to rescue her husband by grabbing the testicles of the other man. Woohoo! 
You must cut off her hand. Show her no pity. Ouch. I guess uh, you don't be grabbing things like that. <laughs> you must use accurate scales when you weigh out merchandise. And you must use full and honest measures. Yes, always used honest that's quite a transition. You go from honest weights and measures, and you go to that from, uh, don't be grabbing and squeezing uh, none of the family jewels. Okay, verse 15. Yes, always use honest weights and measures so that you may enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All who cheat with this honest weights and measures are detestable to the Lord your God. In business transactions, do not cheat people. That is considered detestable to God. Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came out from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies and the land he is giving you as a special possession, you must destroy the Amalekites. And erase their memory from under heaven. Never forget this. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. God said of the descendants of Abraham. And then later on of Isaac and Jacob. Beginning in Genesis 12.3. Watch how you treat the Jewish people. Watch how you treat anyone. Who is a child of God. And. Just to clear up something else, there's this false belief out there that we are all God's children. No, we aren't. John 1.12 says that to those who received Jesus, God gave them the right to become children of God. To those that received him. Even to those that believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. We are all God's creatures but we are not all God's children until we come to faith in Christ. And that's, again, John chapter 1 and verse 12, if you don't believe me. But watch how you treat a child of God. And watch how you treat the Jewish people. Chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. Got two more chapters to go for today. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, With this gift I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, My ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. Not Armenian, Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. So, one of, I have a couple of friends named Christina. One of them is Armenian. So if you're listening to this, it says Aramean, not Armenian. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, when the Egyptians oppressed and... Uh, wait a minute. I think I messed up something here. Um, 
His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm, with overwhelming terror, and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in this celebration. Every third year, you must offer a special tithe of your crops. So again, we're not under the law of Moses, so all of this, you know, the, the letter of the law doesn't necessarily apply to us today, but spiritual principle does. So tithing, I would argue that tithing is a principle that carries on throughout all time because it was something that was established before the law of Moses. So it's something that uh, carries forward, I personally believe. I'm open to having my mind changed, as Stephen Crowder likes to say, change my mind. <laughs> I've laid this out, now change my mind. But uh, there's my premise. So if you want to change it, we're more than welcome to discuss it. I would be happy to. But also, something else I wanted to point out here is they tithed more than money or gold and silver or whatever. They also tithed from their crops. So, take for that what you want. Every third year, you must offer a special tithe of your crops. In this year of the special tithe, you must give your tithes to the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows. So that they will have enough to eat in your towns. Then you must declare in the presence of the Lord your God. I have taken the sacred gift from my house and have given it to the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows. Just as you commanded me. I have not violated or forgotten any of your commands. I have not eaten any of it while in mourning. I have not handled it while I was ceremonially unclean. And I have not offered any of it to the dead. And if you're lying, God's watching. No, that's not in there. Um, I have obeyed the Lord my God and have done everything you commanded me. Now look down from your holy dwelling place in heaven and bless your people Israel and the land you swore to our ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. A call to obey the Lord's commands, Deuteronomy 25.16. Excuse me, 26.16. Today the Lord your God has commanded you to obey all these decrees and regulations. So be careful to obey them wholeheartedly. We should always obey all of God's commands wholeheartedly. Verse 17, you have declared today that the Lord is your God. By the way, going back to that wholeheartedly thing for a minute. If... You're doing something out of obligation, but your heart's really not in it. In God's eyes, kind of like you didn't do it. I think that's part of, I just did a blog today talking about the judgment seat of Christ and how 
while salvation is by grace through faith, we will give an account for our works. And our works will be tested on the day of judgment after the rapture at the judgment seat of Christ. And if they produce gold, silver, and precious stones, we'll get rewarded with eternal rewards. And if they produce wood, hay, or stubble and they're burned up, we will suffer loss of eternal rewards. And I think there's something to be said there for I think one of the tests for whether or not our works will be... Um, will be accepted by God as pure is whether or not we did it with the whole we did it with our whole heart we did it wholeheartedly or if we did it out of obligation or because we had to or because people were watching us and we wanted to impress them no live for the audience of one as the song says live for God don't just live for the approval of others or don't just do it halfway if you're going to do it go all in otherwise don't bother um do, 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 do. i was trying to get to something there and i lost my place again uh the lord has declared today that you are his of his people um, oh, no, excuse me, after verse 17. That's where it is, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 17. You have declared today, and the Lord is your God, that the Lord is your God. And you have promised to walk in His ways and to obey His decrees, commands, and regulations and do everything He tells you. The Lord has declared today that you are His people, His own special treasure. Do you belong to God? Are you His own special treasure? Just as He promised, and that you must obey all His commands. And if you do, he will sit you high above all the other nations he has made. Then you will receive praise, honor, and renown. America, if we obey all of God's commands, he will set us above and continue to set us above all other nations he has made. Then we will receive praise, honor, and renown. We, uh, we will be as a nation that is holy to the Lord your God, just as he promised. That's why the National Day of Prayer is so important. I wish more of us took it seriously. Now on to Deuteronomy 27, and then we will be done for the day. And I've got about 14 minutes to get through this to make it under one hour, so that's what we're going to try to do. Deuteronomy 27, the, the altar on Mount Ebal. Then Moses and the leaders of Israel gave this charge to the people. Obey all these commands that I'm giving you today. Is Moses talking? When you cross the Jordan River and enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write this whole body of instruction on them when you cross the river to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. When you cross the Jordan, set up these stones at Mount Ebal and coat them with plaster as I am commanding you today. So we don't have stones to set up with plaster and all that stuff. We don't have to write all of God's instructions on stone. But we do have the written word of God in its complete form now, by the way, with the Old and New Testament. Before us, 
We have access to it like no other society in history. I'm reading this online right now. I have a dozen or so print Bibles on top of that with all sorts of commentary notes and things like that. So, do we hold, do you hold, does your household hold, does your family hold the word of God in this same kind of high esteem? When you enter into your promised land, whatever that may be, whether it's a job you've been praying for, whether it's provision you've been praying for, whether it's a spouse or a child you've been praying for, do you say, okay, thanks God, I take, I got it from here? Or do you continue to place his word and the God behind that word in high esteem? Deuteronomy 27, verse 5. Then build an altar there to the Lord your God using natural uncut stones. You must not shape the stones with an iron tool. In other words, they have to remain pure build the altar of uncut stones and use it uh, they must remain whole and use it to burn to offer burnt offerings to the Lord your God also sacrifice peace offerings on it and celebrate by feasting there before the Lord your God you must clearly write all these instructions on the stones coated with plaster then Moses and the Levitical priests addressed all Israel as follows O Israel be quiet and listen Oh, America, be quiet and listen. Stop posting about the coronavirus all day. Quiet and listen. Today, Moses said to the Levitical priests, You have become the people of the Lord your God, so you must obey the Lord your God by keeping all these commands and decrees that I'm giving you today. That same day, Moses, who gave this charge, he gave this charge to the people. When you cross the Jordan River, the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin must stand on Mount Gerizim to proclaim a blessing over the people. And the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali must stand on Mount Ebal to proclaim a curse. So we got different mountains being uh, where the blessings and curses are coming from. Then the Levites will shout to all the people of Israel, Cursed is anyone who carves or casts an idol and secretly sets it up. These idols, the work of craftsmen, are detestable to the Lord. And all the people will reply, Amen. America, just as the Israelites crossed through a sea to get to their promised land, our ancestors crossed an ocean to get to our promised land. Have we set up idols in our country? You bet. Are they all made of wood and stone? Maybe not. But anything that you put ahead of God is an idol, whether that's a relationship, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a child, whether that's a family member, 
whether that's a TV show, whether that is a sport, whether that is a program, whether that is entertainment of some sort, whether that is a business. All our businesses are closing down. How many people don't go to church or don't gather together in some way with people to worship the Lord because they got to work? Uh, I have I know someone who told somebody uh, I have a relative actually I won't say who who told someone who was interviewing for a a job at the place where they worked when they asked for Sundays off to go to church um, where it was wasn't just said oh we can't do that was was basically criticized for asking for such a thing and say well I bet you go out to eat on Sunday. Well, maybe they do. But the point is, um, and by the way, let's throw that in there too. How many of you didn't go to church? Now, I, I do church online through Life Church. I'm a host there. And because of that, because of the number of ser- services we offer, um, we offer online, there's a tremendous amount of flexibility there. But I still gather with God's people just like we're all having to do right now online, most of us. And so I don't forsake the assembling together of myself with my brothers and sisters in Christ. How many of us have? And look at the things. uh, By the way, let's close off the churches, right? But the stock market's open. Oh, that money's still got to flow, don't it? Uh, Jesse Duplantis gave, gave a great message about that this past Sunday that I plan on posting on my Facebook later if anybody wants to see it. Uh, it was about the coronavirus. Um, but let's go on here because now we've got uh, seven minutes left and I really want to try to get this in under the hour. If I can't, we'll just do another segment like we did yesterday, but I'm going to try. Uh, America, get rid of your idols. That's the point. <laughs> Verse 16 of Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who dishonors father or mother. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who steals property from a neighbor by moving a boundary marker. And all the people will reply, Amen. All you socialists out there who want to steal from people. Mm. Anyway. Cursed it is anyone who leads a blind person astray on the road. And all the people will reply, Amen. How cruel would that be? Anyway. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. Kind to the immigrant. The legal immigrant. And all the people will reply, Amen. That last comment was mine, by the way. Verse 20, Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with one of his father's wives, for he has violated his father. Not to mention, that's just gross. And all the people replied, Amen. Verse 21, Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with an animal. That's even more gross. That is nasty and disgusting. And all the people will reply, Amen. They better. Verse 22, Cursed, uh, or verse 22, Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with his sister. 
I don't have a sister, but still, whether she is the daughter of his father or his mother and all the people will reply, amen, you bet you on that one too. Cursed is anyone. By the way, yes, Cain did marry his sister, but back then they didn't have the same problems with, uh, with um, the, the genetic uh, flaws that had been passed down because of the curse. So it wasn't a, pro uh, wasn't a problem then. The prohibition against marrying sisters did not come along until later. So where did King get his wife? He married one of his sisters. Cursed is anyone who uh, has sexual intercourse with his mother-in-law. Oh my gosh, ew, yuck, and all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who attacks a neighbor in secret, and all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who accepts payment to kill an innocent person, like mercenaries, murder for hire. All the people will reply, Amen. The last verse for tonight, cursed is anyone who does not affirm and obey the terms of these instructions. And all the people will reply, Amen and Amen. We are done with today's uh, podcast. And we got done with about three minutes to go. So I've got the little red numbers flashing at me, but we made pretty good time. And I only used 8% battery. So um, while I've got a few more minutes here, I want to say, or I want to make a suggestion. It's good to keep up with what's going on. Make sure you're listening to reliable sources. Most of the news media is not. I found some of the best sources lately have been our pastors, our men of God, or in some cases our women of God, such as Joyce Meyer. But, that's where I have started turning to, to keep up with what's going on with the virus. Trust our men of God. More so than the corrupt news media who's just trying to get ratings. Or who are stirring up hysteria on purpose for their own agenda, as I said in a recent uh, blog post. Um which is on a blogger. It's uh, Wisdom on Wheels is uh, the name of it. Um, I'll have the full address for you next time. I don't have it in front of me right now. So I'll get that the next time uh, that I'm on. Uh, don't stick your head in the sand about coronavirus. Don't give in to all the hype either. Uh, take the facts for what they are. But uh, like Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. I would say, yes, don't worry about tomorrow. And also... Don't fret over the, oh my gosh, well, this could happen. Oh my gosh, what if this happens? You know, be prepared, but trust God to be your provider. <laughs> this, I mean, we, we talk about that kind of thing all the time, but these days is when, this is when the rubber meets the road. This is when we find out how much we mean it. When we say, oh, God's my provider. Oh, El Shaddai. Oh, Lord. Oh, bless me, Father. Oh, take care of my needs. Oh, we trust you. And when we do all that, now's the time we show that we mean it. So don't fret over what could happen. You know, if it's for children, it, you know, if uh, if this happens, if that happens. But it hasn't happened. 
live in what's happening right now. Prepare. Yes, preparing is good. But don't worry. And don't focus so much on what could happen. Because most of the stuff that could happen never does. And a lot of the stuff that does happen, we never saw coming. How many of you predicted this coming a year ago? We couldn't have predicted it. So predictions, they might be okay, but don't put too much stock in them. Don't waste a lot of your time worrying about it. Okay, we got eight seconds to go. Thank you very much. Love you all. God bless you. Look forward to your comments. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.